Welcome back to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. This is a look at Ask Nick episode 83. So some questions we're going to talk about today include how do you stay organized? Do you use a practice journal? How do you approach teaching adult beginners? And so there's some different kind of questions to dive into here, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode. We closed the UNT Con Selmer uh, Jazz Trombone Day competition, International Jazz Trombone Competition. We had people from all over. We had people from Japan and Europe, the United States, Cuba, a bunch of different places, lots of great entries. I'm excited to start going through them. I started going through them. Uh, we're going to get the rest of those gone through and start getting uh, our finalists figured out for that. And so again, that's going to be on November the 20th. I'm going to try to get those announced by the end of the month. Again, the first prize is a King Trombone. Second prize, a great uh, carbon fiber custom slide from Butler Trombones and a third prize to be announced. And uh, if you hadn't seen over the last week or so, I've been posting around that we're looking for a new TF to start next fall in the UNT Jazz Trombone Studio. So uh, TF, TA, same difference. We are open and accepting applications. Uh, they opened on the 1st of September and that'll be um, until December. Right at the beginning of December is the cutoff for the pre-screen. So you can find all that information if you are, if that's you and we're looking for someone to join studio to conduct the YouTubes and work with me on lessons and a whole bunch of things. So what are the first steps to recording your own album logistically and getting the band together? So the first couple of things, I don't know which, which point you're at there, but you know, coming up with a concept for the record, like what is the record gonna be? That's an important step coming up with who's going to be on the record uh, and coming up with a plan for like not only who it is but like why you're going to have them there's a function of like what you're trying to do with the record at the end of the day where does it fit into your overall scheme of records if it's your first record or 10th record is it the same instrumentation is it different instrumentation is it going to have guest soloists um, because you know the more well-known names you can have on there the easier it's going to be to get it out to the press, kind of setting a budget, kind of getting an expectation of like what you're able to spend without overspending and kind of what, starting to look ahead to future projects after the first project. So I don't know which one is necessarily first for you, but what's first for me is always the music and the band and then figuring out when I want it to be released by and working backwards. Uh, because it takes a long time, you know, from the point that you have a finished master in your hand, you know, it could it easily takes four to six months moving quickly. So uh, in terms of lining up a publicist, lining up physical printing, artwork, distribution, all of those things. Uh, and so I would try to get a plan for your publicity and distribution and um, obviously the music and kind of the angle, your angle, your publicity angle, your marketing angle, how you're going to take advantage of whether it's your first record or special guests or whatever the case might be. Uh, but those are a bunch of things that you might do uh, on your first record or on when you're first putting a project together to make sure that you have a good handle on what that should look like, you know? How do you organize all the projects you're involved with? Do you have a huge board or documents you work off of to make sure checking off all the stuff you want to do? I've recently, I have under my desk here planners. I'm a big physical planner person, so I've got six here. So this is six years of my life, plus the current year is seven. I use a physical planner. Uh, I've recently switched over to using an iPad um, to help me keep that together. So I've, I'm slowly moving to digital because now the iPad has you know a pencil, and I've always liked the like physical writing motion of like doing it. I also set yearly goals. If you're super interested in it, I have like a goal setting course up on my website and in my 
uh, store and you can buy that or check it out or whatever. And it just goes through like a system for doing goals every year and something that I do every year and my students do it at the beginning of every school year. I try to focus on, you know, like one big project a month. And so that way, if I get 10 of the 12 big projects done, I'm doing pretty darn good at keeping ahead of um, the curve on things. And if I don't get it done, I'm trying to be more forgiving of myself these days in terms of not getting quite as much done. It's my natural tendency is to like, go, 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 go. So I'm trying to like chill a little bit. How can you learn to play high and loud for long periods of time? First of all, I don't really think that that's that important of a thing to do. The way that I got that was from playing in marching band because that's what you would do all the time. So essentially, this, the, the advice is you have to practice how you want to play. So if you want to be able to play high and loud or fast or slow or quiet, you have to practice that way. So if that means you need to go into a room where you can play loud for like three hours, so you can play a gig loud for three hours, you know, you have to put yourself in the situation that you want to practice for. And then always balance out your practice. So if you're playing high and fast and loud, you want to also practice quiet and slow to keep a good balance. Because if you, you only do one and not the other, you're gonna get out of balance, get out of whack. You could hurt yourself. Try to practice how you wanna play. So if that's loud and high, then you gotta shed um, your row shoes up an octave or up in treble clef or in tenor clef. Play along with loud records, you know. Uh, play big band stuff that's loud and high. All that sort of stuff. You know. Do you advise using Fourscore to organize practice and live sessions? Yeah, I mean, if you're an, an iPad person, that's a good app. I put all of my stuff in there. I kind of like for performance purposes. I'm still a physical copies kind of person. I have. I got the iPad thinking I was going to digitize everything, and I am going to. Uh, I'm going to get all my books into the iPad. But there's something about just the paper that seems to work better. But in terms of organizing practice sessions, I kept a practice journal for a long time, which I think was one of the other questions. Yeah, did you ever use practice journals or practice log to write your goals down? Yes, I did. And so, you know, who else used to talk about this was Ron Carter um, at Juilliard. He would, you know, talked about keeping a practice journal. And it can be, you know, pretty simple. I actually have a practice journal that like I made. I guess I don't have one in here, but I made one and it's on Amazon. You can find it that has like a monthly and weekly kind of breakdown, but you don't have to do that. You can just use a piece of paper and just kind of log exactly what you're doing. And obviously it accomplishes a few different things. One is keeping track of what you've been doing. Two, holding you accountable of what you're actually doing in a practice session, rather than what you were actually just maybe you think you're doing, meaning like, are you actually spending the time that you think you are doing what you think you're doing? You know, for example, for me, when I was in undergrad, I used to lock myself in a practice room on Saturdays and just stay in there, just like practice, go, you know. And uh, when I started keeping a practice journal, you know, I kind of realized that I was wasting a lot of time, actually, and that I was just on my phone or whatever. And I'm like, man, I'm actually I'm only getting two or three good hours out of this eight hours. I'm like locking myself in a room. So the practice journal can help you not only track like what you're practicing, when you're practicing, and it can also help you hold yourself accountable to like what you're actually getting done, not just like locking yourself in a room. So uh, whether you do it on Fourscore, like Paul was suggesting, or you do it in a piece of paper or a binder or a notebook or whatever, it's not super important. I think uh, the act of just doing it is what's important. What's the goal this year or next year? I have a couple of goals. I'm still working on finishing up a music business book that I'm getting out into the world. That'll be at the beginning of, it'll be in probably Q1 or Q2 of 22. This fall, I've got a record coming in November, top secret record coming in November. And then um, um, I won this Sampra Music America grant beginning of September. And so I'm working on music, man. I just, earlier today, I'm, I'm writing a new record. 
I got ideas for another record after that. There's basically three, four records I've got in my mind that I want to do, but I got to find the money. So those are kind of where I'm at uh, in terms of goals and projects. But I'm trying to do, again, like I'm trying to do less, actually. I've been burning myself out for like years now. I want to I wanna focus more on getting to some kind of peace. <laughs> Congrats on winning the grant. Does that change your budget for each future album? Does a live album cost more or less to record? The short answer is yes, it does change the budget because there's a lot more money than usual. To have any outside funding is a lot more money than usual. So it's a, it's a bonus, you know, to be able to have that and to... This particular Chamber Music America does a great job of supporting the grantees as well. There's a lot of different types of funding that they make available in terms of not only getting the project composed, but recorded and then doing some performances. And so you do those. I'll be doing them in probably New York and some other places, probably in Texas too. But so it changes the budget for sure because there's a lot more we can do. I might do two days in the studio instead of just one, maybe more stuff or or do um, more takes. In terms of does it cost more or less to do a live recording? I, I think usually a live recording, I would assume you would say less um, because you're not paying for the studio, but you might pay a lot of money in getting engineers in and then you might do more money editing because it's less um, accurate maybe and you don't fix anything really when it's a live recording. So I love live recordings because they show you exactly what happened, mistakes and all, energy and all. Like that's the thing about live recordings, it feels different than if you are just doing a studio recording. Studio recordings can also have great energy, but it really is up to you, you know, what you want to do. But those live recordings, and it depends like how many mics you're using, how much the engineer costs. So I couldn't give you like a clear yes or no in terms of what's going to cost more. You're just spending the money differently. You know, publicity is going to be the same. A thousand CDs is still going to cost the same. When composing, do you start out with pencil and paper before writing in notation? I generally do, yes. Usually when I'm composing, I generally don't go straight to the computer. Sometimes though I do, but then in that case, I'm definitely like playing on the keyboard or on the piano first, but I'll show you this. I generally write using um, big paper. Uh, so I like using this big like score paper to, uh, to sketch stuff out. So this only has some chords on it, but I'm working, like I said, like I'm working on music for this new record. Some of it I've written straight into the computer, but like I said, like generally I don't. Like I had, for cast of characters, for that record, I've had like 10 sheets like this, just filled with ideas, right? So just different ideas all over the place. When I wrote, uh, there's a piece that's on YouTube if you wanna check it out, it's called the 10 Year Suite. Same thing, I used big score paper and sketched it all out. And so whenever I do something where it's gonna be kind of related, like super related, all the pieces of the record, all the tunes, all the, tools, all the harmony, all that kind of stuff. I try to use big score paper in order to do that and keep my thoughts organized and see how things relate and draw all over it, you know, all that kind of thing. And then I write it into the computer. For this next record, I've done a kind of hybrid. I've got a journal too. So it's like this. One page is blank and then the other page has notation. So I've just been doing like sketches of melodies. So, you know, like I write with different ways, you know, I find writing melody first is usually helpful for me, but sometimes I just write like pitches and bass notes and sometimes I... You know, on one side is just blank, so I write notes like to myself about it, what this is over here. So the last week or so, I've been working on a lot of music, a lot of tunes. I wrote one, two, three, four, five, five or six pieces. Anyway, so this time I'm trying this way, a little sketches and a notebook, but it all kind of comes down to that connection for me to the to the to the music. You know, the connection to the uh, physical 
nature of writing something down. So whether it's on a scrap piece of paper, uh, you try to write something down. In your opinion, do adults who are learning how to play the trombone as beginners have any unique needs as opposed to kids? Yeah, I would say it's a totally different skill set to teach adult beginners versus um, young kid beginners because they're experienced people in the world. You can't, you don't speak to them in the same way, obviously. You speak to them as a peer, as a person, not as like a teacher to student relationship, you know, in the same kind of way. Uh, but in terms of unique needs, there's a need to go faster. There's a need to find the most efficient and effective ways to do things, to see results in a relatively short period of time. I find for the older the student is, as a beginner, I mean, there's usually a reluctance to actually do the things that are most helpful because they feel like they're not the most helpful, like long tones, like getting a fundamentals routine together, uh, doing all the fundamentals before playing the music part, diving into the details, getting an adult student from pretty good to really good is really hard most of the time because there's a, there's a lack of wanting to do the hard work sometimes you know, the specific work. And this is just a very, very broad generalization. This is not about anyone in particular. Um, but, you know, like we, I've done like jazz camps that are for adults as well. And like, there's just usually this kind of sense that they think that they're less capable than they are. And so there's like a, a lot of discussion that goes into that. It's like, no, you can do this. Like, it's fine. Like you get 13 year old kids to do this. You can do this as well. You know, one thing I always like to say is like, Jazz musicians historically have had a lot of different issues and problems and they might have been high half the time and like they're still doing this stuff and like you can definitely approach this music at any point, you know, it, it's not that you have to be a kid or an adult or anything. What was the most embarrassing moment you've had in a gig or a jam session? How did it boost your mindset to work harder? Okay, well it wasn't in a gig, I guess it was a gig, it was at a jazz camp. My most embarrassing moment was, um, it was at Juilliard Jazz Camp. And somebody will watch this and remember when this happened, I'm sure. So Carl Allen, great drummer, was leading the program at that time. And we had this camp in West Palm Beach. We were playing for all the campers. Like maybe it was the first day or the second day. Somebody wanted to play Blue Train. I was like, oh, cool, because we had tenor and trombone and trumpet. And it was like, oh, let's play Blue Train. Let's play the arrangement. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I know that. Turns out I didn't know Curtis's part. And I like fell flat on my face and played all the wrong notes. And it sounded awful. That was definitely a moment where I was like, yeah, you really got to check out these things and know the harmony if you're going to say. So like uh, on certain tunes, like Blue Train, Moments Notice, it's like learn the melody, but also learn Curtis's part if you play trombone, you know. Learn the part so that when somebody actually t say, hey, let's play this, you might want to know that. Fun gigs coming up. Yeah, I got a gig with my band, actually. Uh, well, I'm supposed to go to Portugal beginning of October with, with a knot, so that will be fun. But I'm, it seems like I'm not sure if that's happening because of, uh, you know, travel restrictions and things. My band is playing at the Side Door Jazz Club. I haven't and I, I haven't really been promoting it yet. But uh, Side Door Jazz Club is in um, Old Lyme, Connecticut, in between Boston and uh, well, it's in, in between like Providence and New Haven uh, in, in Connecticut. It's a great little jazz club. And they just reopened. I think last weekend they just had a big festival to reopen. And so my band's going to be there with Alex Wince, Lucas Pino, Miki Yamanaka, Jimmy McBride, Dave Barron, myself, we're going to play The Greatest Hits. It's on October 23rd, which is a Saturday, and then I'm uh, going into the studio for a couple days after that for the label for Outside in Music. We're doing a bunch of sessions that coming up after that, 24, 25, 26. What would be your all-time favorite Curtis Fuller tune to play along to? I've been playing The Court. That's a Curtis tune that I like. Other Curtis, I love, I like A La Mode, you know that one. I like his arranging too, the way he arranges um, 
ballads in particular. What was the inspiration behind your tune, Life Happens? That whole record, The Chase, is kind of about the journey, you know? We're kind of like focusing on the journey and not the result. And then, so Life Happens is kind of, you know, another way of saying shit happens, you know, for a lack of more... A lack of a better way to put it, you know, but sometimes things get in your way that you did not anticipate. Many things come up in life you never thought in a million years might happen, whether good, bad, just situationally. What it's about, like harmonically, I can play it on the piano. I don't try to shout over here, but it's about um, first inversion major chords with a ninth uh, and fourth voicing. So like this, I'll play it for you and you can figure it out. Like the first chord is like E A D in the right hand and then F sharp in the left hand. So whatever you want to call that chord, I don't care what you call it. I call I call it D D add nine or add two D add two over F sharp. This is a I, we've gotten into arguments with some of my friends about how to write that. But my friends, the guys in my band, know about about that chord because I write about I write it into almost every tune on accident. But that just goes to show you that you repeat yourself a lot when you're writing tunes. There's there's things there's sounds that you like. You know, people ask about developing your own sound or your own approach or your own vibe, and that's it. You you stumble on these things, and it's like. You know, these are them. These are the things. I just try to lean into those things rather than running away from them, you know? Just because, um, what's the point? Uh, you might as well embrace what you naturally hear, at least in my opinion. Out of all your compositions, which one are you hoping to include for large ensemble? I mean, I've done some for large ensemble. I've been trying to think of which other ones to um, adapt. And I've talked to some other people, some arrangers. There's a tune of mine called Never Enough, I think I'll do. I was thinking about my arrangement of Maria, and I think I'm gonna do that. And then I'm gonna do for trombone ensemble, one of my tunes called uh, Only This, Only Now, or Only Now, Only This. I'm thinking about those ones for large ensemble. Okay, I'm gonna run. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll catch you on the next one.